The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a very special guest. I'm honored to have a friend and colleague, Dr. Paul Sheely. Paul is um, a shall we say, a recent Ph.D., although Dr. Sheely has been working on um, his research for a good six years and has been in the field um, for many more years than that, a, a true expert. Paul is the CEO of Sheely Learning Systems. He's a founding partner of Learning Strategies Corporation and a best-selling author of Photo Reading, Natural Brilliance, and his third book, Drop Into Genius. Paul, welcome to Leading Conversations. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Cheryl. I've been admiring your work on the show for quite a while. Oh, thank you so much. We'll just keep you hanging around for a long time, and you can say things like that all the time, Paul. Um, we are so glad to have you here and hear your voice. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you and you know what I notice about... Um, your work is that learning, the concept of learning, is so important to you. And I'm curious about, you know, where in your life did this begin for you? Well, it was uh, early on when I was at an American school outside of Tel Aviv, Israel, my father was on a consultancy, the American International Development Consultancy to the Israeli government in 1962. And one of the things that I noticed is that there is a big contrast between being in an American school with a lot of outdoor and experiential learning and being in New York in a public school, sitting in rows and being confined to a desk. I noticed that there was... There was a huge difference in terms of my capacity to engage learning and really learn how to learn effectively. And uh, that became a banner for me. I recognized that if I was going to be a successful learner, there would have to be different ways to learn than what traditional education was showing. As a result of all that, I've really brought that to corporations, organizations all over the world, showing them how to accelerate the process of learning, get better learning in less time for less cost, learning that really sticks, learning that we can embody and make good use of rather than just delivering content to a room full of people who are half asleep so how old were you when you had that experience in Israel? I was in the second grade, so I was just wow. about seven years old. 
Well, that's pretty profound for a second grader. <laughs> what do you think, it, in your own experience, you know, in your family at that age, made made you notice that? Well, I, and it's something that I've actually perpetuated for my own children. My wife Libby and I uh, recently celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. We have three children. Thank you. We have three children out in the world who are three men supporting themselves and families, and one of them uh, has really taken on the challenge that I offered to all of them, which is be a citizen of the planet, just not just of your locale. And um, they really are great travelers. They've been in many parts of the world. One lives in in New Zealand and is going to be on a international mountaineering expedition, a first ascent in Nepal. Oh. He's been a part of an international program, studied abroad, got his his degree at the University of uh, Otago in Dunedin, New Zealand. And he exemplifies this concept that our, our true genius comes from our interaction with the world. Uh, Dr. Buckminster Fuller said, Every one of us is born genius, and out of 10,000 children born in the world, 9,998 of them will be systematically degenious by the time they reach the fifth grade. But it happens by well-meaning and well-intentioned adults who prevent the natural exploration of the world. And we do that. We do that by trying to make life safe and successful for kids. But, you know, that stops them from the real activity of this magnificent genius human brain and mind that we have. And that's what my work has been about, is how can we release that and bring it out into the world. And my parents really encourage that. It encouraged a lot of extracurricular activities and a lot of travel, a lot of exploration, a lot of interaction with the natural world. So it sounds like exploration of the natural world is vital to this. So it's not just hands-on learning. It's about being in nature. Nature is an important part of it, clearly, and that gives us an opportunity to see the interconnectivity of everything. And the way I like to show it, if I put my hand behind this piece of paper and just stick four of my fingers up over the paper so that that's all you see, you could see four individuals. But if I put my hand up, you see those four individuals are actually five and they're all connected to one hand. And well, that one hand might be all of humanity. On the other arm, on the other hand, there's all of nature. And the difference between who we are energetically, biologically, genetically, is so minuscule. There's such a minuscule difference between the human species and all other species, including plant species on the planet. We share a lot of what Everything is interconnected. We, we share a lot of it. So the difference between hemoglobin and chlorophyll, for example, is one single molecule. So it's, it's really tremendous how much we need to connect in with what is more natural in the world. It's a source of all the wisdom that we can make use of 
to do our work, to create a world that works for everyone. I love that. Wisdom we can make use of. Um, You know, there's this belief that wisdom does not come until one has had years and years of experience on the planet and um, arrives at a certain age. And what I hear you saying is that wisdom can happen at any age, in any moment, in anyone's life. Is that right? Well, it is connected to experience. Experience can happen at any place, any time in our lives. Wisdom comes from being able to, to string the beads together, to be able to integrate all that it is that we have learned. And I think that takes us to that next level. Um, The ancient Greeks talked about it as Sophia. Uh And that's, that's the concept of wisdom. We, we also have something called phronesis. And what that is, is the wisdom that's gained through experience. But to go from, from phronesis to Sophia is that, is that ability to gain a greater perspective and to be able to integrate all of it. And then there's another level, and that's called nuos. And that's where the ancient Greeks talked about, that's where our intuitive knowledge, our connection to a deeper or a higher source of information. And interestingly, this is a big part of the dissertation work that I did to complete my doctorate is an understanding of how people can connect to source. Uh, Much of the scholarship in leadership development has talked about something called spiritual intelligence, or SQ, as opposed to IQ or EQ for emotional intelligence. You know, this, this idea of SQ has gained some real traction for the last uh, 20 years or so in, in scholarly literature for leadership development. And so I've been interested in really tracking down how can we be more connected to that source of wisdom that will guide our next steps. Uh, Dr. Otto Scharmer, uh, along with Peter Senge, Joseph Jaworski, and... Um, Betty Sue Flowers wrote a book called Presencing. And then Otto Scharmer, several years later, came out with a book called Theory U. And that's a capital letter U. And this is all about how do we become more present to source. And it really happens in collaboration. So when you and I sit down together, rather than talking about what's between our ears and trying to share a downloaded history of, of knowledge, if we can become aware of what shows up when the two, of our, uh, the two of us are in dialogue, we become witnesses to what's between our noses rather than what's between our ears. And it's in that, this, this, what um, the Dialogue Project by William Isaacs talked about it from MIT, what Sharmer talks about in Theory U, we get to do something called co-presencing, where we drop into a deeper level of listening and we become aware that something greater is trying to show up here on the planet and it's showing up through us as us. And let's reflect that when we're together so we can become witnesses of it and transfer that into meaningful work that will let us adapt to what's showing up in the world all the problems that are facing us. 
The exciting thing for me, Cheryl, is that there is a technology that allows us to do that. It's not just a mystery school. You don't have to uh, go into meditation in order for this to happen. It can happen solving real-life problems, real-work situations, and leadership can facilitate it. You know, that in itself fascinates me. I'm going to go back for a minute to the concept of co-presencing. I know that the, for me, the experience that I have when I am completely present to the person in front of me and they sense that and have the capacity to drop into that level of presence also, um, it, it is like magic happens. It is like true grounding and that it's a combination that there's, there's nothing else in the world that matters and everything else in the world is present. It is an extraordinary experience. Well, you're describing that fundamental truth that all of the resources we need are available to us at any moment in time. I've, for over 30 years, I've been doing human development work. My master's degree is in adult learning and human development technologies. Uh, My PhD in leadership and change. And it's always really been, my, my professional work has always been, how can we gain access to more of the resources that are within us? And when we think about education as being a process of pouring information into people, supposedly giving them the resources they need, education really misses the mark. What we need is critical reflection that helps us gain access to resources that are already within us. And uh, it's a remarkable thing to realize that if we have a goal in mind, that goal would not have occurred to us if it wasn't already within our capacity to achieve it. And no matter how outrageous the goal may be, I remember giving a, a presentation at a thought leader gathering here in Minneapolis uh, at the Wells Fargo Bank, and one of the co-presenters with me was a, a young woman who'd started an organization called Students Today, Leaders Forever. And what she did is she sat around in the about 10 days after school started, freshman year, with a couple of friends in a dorm room, and they played a game of, wouldn't it be awesome if? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could change the world while we were in school? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could create a business that would change the world, and when we left school, we'd be able to be employed in our own business? Well, that's exactly what they did. That's great. Yeah, it's astounding. If the goal occurs to you, it's already within your capacity to solve it, to achieve it. And is that, you talk about pre-conscious processing, is that what this is? Pre-conscious processing is a capacity of the human mind because we've got such an enormous bandwidth that the human mind can actually receive and, um, and process information. For example, Cheryl, 
when you look around the world, your human eye and brain is processing over 10 million bits of information per second. However, your conscious mind is only receiving 40 bits of that. So imagine really? This, yeah, imagine this processing bandwidth of 10 million, but everything that you're running your world on, it looks like it's just your conscious awareness and all the decisions you make are conscious. That's only getting 40 bits of that 10 million. Well, the question then is, how did your mind and brain know to give you that 40 bits compared to all the rest of the 40 bits? So this gives us an indication that there is a processing capacity. It's probably in the billions to do that kind of crunching of information in order to calculate which ones should get to you consciously. It's spectacular what the human mind is capable of. So I use the principles of pre-conscious processing and this vast non-conscious resource and capacity of the mind in order to help people learn more rapidly, more effectively, and solve problems more efficiently. That's where that's where the concept from cognitive psychology comes in on this idea of preconscious processing. This is fascinating, and we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, um, I would like you to talk about that technology that helps us to break through some of those bits of information that we're not accessing. We'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Well, welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with Paul Sheely today and talking about learning how to learn. So, Paul, in the previous segment, you spoke about the technology of learning, that there's a technology that can help us actually access our genius um, that we don't even know we have. So talk about that. Okay, imagine that you're 
you can look at the floor and see the amount of space under your feet that your feet actually cover up of the floor. So just this little circle, maybe about a foot in diameter. And imagine the entire database of your conscious mind. Everything you now know that you can consciously gain access to is represented by that circle. Now imagine that that circle is in the center of a circle that's 11 miles across an area that's 10 billion to one what you're standing on. That's the power of something we call the non-conscious mind. And it's, when I say non-conscious, think of it as everything other than conscious. Now, schools have always spoken to the conscious and verbal part of you. I had the wonderful opportunity back in the mid-70s while getting a Bachelor of Science degree at the University of Minnesota in biology, I had the opportunity to be trained as a professional hypnotist by a local hypnotist, and uh, that was my summer job. I did hypnosis (laughs) sessions and then moved the hypnosis center clinic into my apartment when I was living off campus. So imagine this, you know, 19-year-old kid being a professional hypnotist, coaching uh, executives in their 50s on public speaking and students on taking tests and all of this. And what I came to recognize is we have this phenomenal... We, we used to call it subconscious or unconscious. I'm calling it non-conscious because it has less baggage associated with it. So we've got this phenomenal capacity to receive information below the threshold of our conscious awareness, discriminate it from all the rest of the stimuli that's hitting us, differentially respond to it, even to the point of fully integrating it into our physical body, and never even consult the conscious mind. So it's spectacular in the field. I've, I've, um, I had a, a course that I developed for the Minnesota Dental Association for clinical credits on just how to communicate with patients in the operatory. So mm-hmm. using language, you actually learn to speak to this vast part of a person's non-conscious resource. Well, extend that out 30 years. What I discovered is that you could actually teach teachers to teach the non-conscious part of a person's learning ability. So if you think about a little chart where in the, on the bottom left it says learning. So mm-hmm. go to this class, learn math. And what does the teacher do? Hands you a textbook, say, read Chapter 3, mm-hmm. learn, learn Chapter 3. Well, not very helpful if you've never learned how to read a math text, right? right? So really where we want to be is the next level up. So imagine up and to the right is this next bubble, and it says learning how to learn. So if you learn how to learn math, you'll get through that semester, and you'll be a lifelong learner of mathematics. So for all the rest of your life, once you have those learning-to-learn skills, You're going to be more successful. Well, now let's go up to the next bubble, up to the right even further. And that's where teachers need to understand how learning to learn takes place. So how do we learn how to learn? 
So in a sense, in essence, what I'm talking about is my faculty development workshops are learning how to learn how to learn. Right? So it's a third, a third logical level. Well, my work then has to be at the fourth logical level, which is, okay, how does that get set up? And what was exciting, it took me about 10 years to develop a faculty development workshop to teach teachers to teach one of my courses called photo reading, which is how to blast through written materials very rapidly. We teach people how to start at 25,000 words a minute. That's a page per second. And it's been in the world now 20, more than 25 years. My book, Photo Reading, has sold over 900,000 copies in 18 languages. So, you know, this is a phenomenal technology of learning. And to teach someone how to teach that was a real challenge. After 10 years, I finally got it dialed in. And then I started teaching faculty development for any subject through technical college system. So uh, technical and community college faculty would learn how to engage the whole learner, the whole brain, the whole mind of students, and accelerate degree programs so that they could get through it, really embody it, love it, like I did as a kid going to outdoor experiential learning, you can actually turn a, a classroom into an accelerated learning experience. So that's, you know, when you ask, what's the technology? That's not only the, the basis of it, but it's really the intent of it is how do we engage this magnificent, beyond genius learning capacity that we're all born with? Is photo reading the same thing as speed reading? No, speed reading is taking your regular reading and making it go faster. Uh, so it's hastening uh, an old paradigm. And what we do is we've changed the paradigm altogether. So we're engaging the pre-conscious processor, which we all possess, and the non-conscious mind, which we all possess, in order to do most of the heavy lifting for you. So a book... That might take you 10 hours to read. You'd photo read it in about three minutes. And then what you would do is you would activate it. So it might take you, by the time you're done with it, maybe 20 minutes, 40 minutes, hour and a half, depending upon what you want to do with it. But an hour and a half compared to 10 hours is a spectacular savings in time. Yeah, I would say so. So if you say that... um as soon as you articulate a goal, it's already the capacity is already in you to do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about what happened for you as you articulated this goal of creating this photo reading. You may not have called it that. Um, and what what happened for you at the first time you actually did this? Well, it was a it was a fun journey to come up with the photo reading program, a colleague of mine in the accelerated learning field, uh, a man named Peter Klein, was doing some consulting work with a local company, IDS American Express, here in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And he was teaching a group of financial uh, software. It's the Information Systems Data Processing Group. 
he was showing them how to learn more efficiently, more rapidly, and they said, you know, we're dying from too much paperwork here, and, um, you know, we get reports, and we go into shock. I mean, we can't, <laughs> you know, or we break into a cold sweat, and our pupils uh, constrict, and our heart goes into palpitations, and you know, we cannot get through this stuff, and we have to generate these kind of reports for everybody else in the organization. Is there a speed-reading application of accelerated learning? Mm. And Peter said, no, there isn't, but let me call a colleague of mine, Paul Sheely, and he called me, and I said, hey, I'm in my master's degree here at the University of St. Thomas. This would be a great project. I'll put it together. So using my background skills in neuro-linguistic programming, I modeled the most effective rapid readers on the planet, people who had made a, a life, a career of reading very rapidly. And I studied what it is they did, and I compared what they were doing with what folks in Evelyn Woods and other speed reading schools were teaching. It was interesting because one out of a hundred students in a, in a traditional speed reading class would get to rates of 25,000 words a minute. And so I wanted to know, <clears throat> I wanted to know what was the difference that made the difference in that one and that's what I was able to track down and codify. And that became the photo reading whole mind system. And when we launched that uh, for IDS, it was spectacularly successful. They absolutely loved it. They could take these 45 and 60 page technical specification reports that were just mind numbing to look at, <laughs> and they could get through them in. 11 to 13 minutes. That Stuff that would phenomenal. take them hours and hours yeah. to, and just would, you know, would kill them to have to read these right, things. Right, right, And then they'd go into dialogue around them and everybody would know the entire report in a matter of minutes. And they were so excited they could hardly stand themselves. So we launched this. My business partner, Pete Bissonette, at, at Learning Strategies, and I launched it for the general public. And the state of Minnesota called us up after we had three very successful programs in 1986. Uh, in, in January of 1986, we had three sold-out programs. The state of Minnesota Department of Vocational Education called us up and said it's a criminal offense in the state of Minnesota to teach reading if you're not licensed as a private school. And I, yeah, that oh was my response. I, I choked and I laughed. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I've been teaching seminars for years. You know, what wow. the heck are you talking about? She said, uh, 30 days in jail and $300 a day fine for every day you're in operation. So, so, so we went through the process of becoming licensed as a private school and uh, got the curriculum approved, and it took a call to the governor because they had sat on it for about four months after we'd gotten all the paperwork in, and it it was approved. But it was it was fascinating because the 
person that the state hired was an expert in the field of reading. And uh, he thought this was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever seen in his life. Uh, wow. So after looking at the material, so he contacted graduates of the program. Everybody had loved it. And then he looked at my curriculum design document that I put together as part of my master's degree, and he was blown away. And so then he, he met with me for two and a half hours. He said, not only am I going to recommend that the state approves this, but I'd like to talk to you about how you can share this with educators. This is the most profound breakthrough in reading that I have ever seen. So very exciting how that, that all played out. That is fascinating, and it, and it sounds like that the it's not only being able to get through the material, it's comprehending what oh, yeah. the material is about. Oh, yeah. And, you know, most of us have had the experience that, you read a page, and then you get to the end of the page and don't even remember what you read. You have to go back and because, you know, your mind wanders, et cetera. And, um, of course, that would never happen to you, Paul, but, you know, for me, it absolutely would happen. And it, it's so frustrating. And so it seems like that short circuits this, short circuits this completely. It does. And what's neat about it is if you can do that with a book, what else could you do it with? Yeah, and yeah. that's the power of the human mind that I've been talking about, writing about, and encouraging so that we can really change the way teaching and learning happens in our organizations globally. I mean, imagine a group of people coming off the factory line and needing to learn OSHA standards. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on, this is so mind-numbing, and it's so badly presented, and nobody learns anything in it, you know? Mm -hmm. So what if we could really change the game? Right. So, so that we engage right. the whole person, the whole mind, and it's just such a spectacular experience. I love it. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about leadership. You speak about how leaders can facilitate transformative learning, and this is very interested. Our our, our audience is very interested in this topic, and uh, when we come back, we'll go right there. We'll be right back. Arise from your sleep, Africa. Arise from your sleep, America. Yes, what to be done, Africa. Yes, what to be done, America. If we unite, we will be free so long. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back, everybody. This is Cheryl Esposito. We're speaking with Paul Sheely today. So, Paul, let's talk about leadership and transformative learning. You have done a lot of research on what it takes for a leader to really transform their organization. And you say that the key to that is learning. What do you mean by that? Well, think about who we are having come through our traditional education or school systems. Essentially, we have reached what's called the third developmental level, and uh, it's really the first adult development level that's called the socialized mind. So there are a couple levels, you know, childhood and adolescence, and then we get to the socialized mind. Our culture has basically assimilated us. We have gotten the rules and regulations, and we can get a job and, and uh, go to work and get along in society. So that's a socialized mind. At some point in our lives, and you remember this in your life, Cheryl, you looked around and you realized there's got to be more to this. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to make this work, and, you know, it's it's not really all coming together here. So you you entered a phase to of adult development that brought you to something called the self-authoring mind, where you're actually writing your own ticket. You're deciding how it can go. You have a non-traditional work life. You have um, you have friends that are non-traditional, right? You, right. You can go into dialogues about things that a lot of people in our society don't necessarily really get into. I mean, look at what we've been talking about here right. today. This is... This is phenomenal stuff that's on the edge of our own human development capabilities. So so by being in that self-authoring mind, you've changed the degree to which you're a victim of the world you see, and you're really at, at cause over the world you see. You're creating the world as you choose to, to live in it. And there is another developmental level beyond the self-authoring mind, and that's called the self-transforming mind. You and I are both members of the Transformational Leadership Council. And, and, you know, I started an organization that is a regional version of that called the Association of Transformative Leaders. And that the idea behind this is we need to support each other in getting to that next developmental level. And so when I talk about transforming, I'm really talking about shifting our prevailing paradigm or what's known in the scholarship as our meaning making. So we're making meaning in a different way than having meaning handed to us by our schools. So you've changed your meaning making, your perspective, and really uh, a transformation is like stepping up on a new rung of a ladder. You have your foot on the old rung, but you're stepping up on a new one and you've got a new perspective. And once you've seen the world from a higher perspective, you can't ever really go back and deny it anymore. And so this is what transformative learning is about. 
<clears throat> it starts out with what's called a, a disorienting dilemma. It's where you're looking at what's going on and you're realizing, you know, that it just doesn't add up. It's not making sense. And there's got to be more to this. And then you go in and you do critical reflection on what are your assumptions about things? What is it? What beliefs have you been committed to? What approaches to problem solving have you been maintaining? And maybe you need to critique some of that and shift some of that. And then we move into what's called affective learning, where you're learning at a deeper level, not just in your head, but really your whole body. You're engaging more of your internal intelligences. And so I, I refer to this as the intellect, you know, our IQ, our emotional or affective state, that's EQ, our physical, that's PQ, and the spiritual, which is SQ. So we've got mind, heart, will, and spirit all combining to help raise us to this next developmental level. So what kind of an organization could a leader facilitate this kind of transformative learning for taking place. And, you know, when we're faced with challenging problems, downloading our past problem-solving strategies isn't going to do it. You know, Einstein's famous quotation about you can't change from the level of thinking to put the problem there to begin with. Yeah. That's what developmental transformation is all about, is when we get to that new perspective, we have other choices that we hadn't considered before. So rather than downloading our history, we need to contact source and see what's emerging here and adjust to this new evolutionary impulse, this new energy that's moving into our organizations and into our world. We're not going back. <laughs> it's not yeah, right. an option. Right. <laughs> We're going forward, so how are we going to do that? Right. Once you know, you know. You can't not know any longer. That's it. So let's translate this into language that most leaders speak. Okay. So I'm a CEO, and I look around my organization, and I say, if we keep doing what we're doing, we aren't going to be here in 10 years because we're not going to keep up with the pace of change that's happening, and things have to shift. Yeah. So what, what would I do first? Well, first we have to make it safe to have that kind of dialogue. We have to make it safe to seek futures we truly desire. So what is it that we really do desire? I remember working with a company in the power generating utility, and there was a the chief officer there saw that eventually power generation was going to be deregulated. The federal government was going to deregulate it. And that meant that they were going to have to be more customer focused rather than, hey, you got to come to us because the government says so. Right, right. <laughs> and so they looked out in, in front of that and said, what skills are our managers going to need in order to operate successfully in that potential future. So, you know, think about it that way. Seeing this wave of change coming and saying, how's that going to work out? You know, you could either run for cover and put your head under the desk, or you could say, you know, let's 
here's a way if we can ride this puppy. Let's take this to the future we really want. Let's start surfing on it. And so this, it's a process of what we call dynamic steering. It's taking that energy, sensing and responding and moving towards it. It all starts with seeking a future we truly desire. So that's, that's number one. The second, then, is to facilitate learning and adaptive work. Adaptive work was talked about by Ronald Heifetz in a book called Leadership Without Easy Answers, and where we're addressing problems for which there aren't good definitions, and there certainly are no expert solutions yet. So we need to be in a mode of learning. Our experts have to learn our, our participants have to learn, and we need to adapt. We need to adapt our business practices, our thinking. And so this concept of adaptive work is this ad- adaptation to the energy that's emerging now in our organizations. So we can do that. We can do that by the way we facilitate dialogue and uh, the way we facilitate problem solving, um, the way we celebrate um, uh, thought generation, thought leadership, um, and really begin to reflect on letting go of practices that no longer serve. Not just wholesale washing them away, yeah. but really, really doing the critical reflection necessary to see the perspective change. And then that's the third step. Okay, so the first step is seek futures we truly desire. Second is to facilitate learning and adaptive work. The third is to illuminate new perspectives so we can see the systems and the unintended consequences that we've been generating up until now and begin to look into new consequences. In other words, start to create prototypes of the future that we would like to live in. Make little microcosms of what eventually might be, and let's find out how it works. Let's run it. Let's try it. Let's, let's see what happens. So we're illuminating these perspective changes that occur, really holding it up for everyone to participate. Because so often, Cheryl, and you, I'm sure you see this in working with organizations, there are a couple of champions that are leading an idea, and they're getting the snot beat out of them on an ongoing basis by people who don't want to change. Right, right. And so we have to protect those voices that don't have authority but have power. They have power in their new perspectives. And and that's a that's a role of leadership, you know, to, to fund some of these um these possible new futures and see what emerges out of those prototypes. And then finally is to really acknowledge the bold contributions that people are making to real generative change, not just remedial change, not just putting band-aids over what's not working, but generative change. The fact that we went through this, we're stronger for it, and, and uh, we celebrate that. We, we acknowledge it. We see the difficult work that people have done. I remember working in the technical college system where we completely accelerated an entire degree program. And it took years for them to be able to get clearance just to bring in the faculty development workshop to make that happen. 
And today, this little department in a technical college in La Crosse, Wisconsin, is the number one revenue-generating department in the entire technical college system throughout the entire state of Wisconsin. And they were groundbreakers. They changed the paradigm. And, you know, the fact that we could build a case on an economic basis in the early days at least got us enough latitude to to start it. <laughs> it didn't mm-hmm. take long to prove it. But, you know, you have to get some of this stuff started. And again, and I want to underscore this, it's the idea of generative change. This is a paradigm shift. This is a movement in another way that really it really puts into question the the outmoded practices that aren't sustainable as we look out into the future. Right, right. Well, you know, and what I'm hearing in my head are the voices of the CEOs I work with who say, we don't have time Mm -hmm. to go through a process like this. We don't have time for people to learn and assimilate and adapt and, you know, illuminate with small um, groups, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have time. We need to make change now. It needs to be a wholesale change. And so, you know, how do you, when you're working with those CEOs, how do you get them to, to see this? And what is the type of CEO who is willing to embrace this? Well, the, the the people who are really going to embrace us are people who are forward-thinking. Uh, if you have a CEO who sees that they've got a big problem to fix and they're going to take whatever remedial change is going to be necessary to fix it for the time being, uh, essentially that's saying, you know, we can ride this wave out until... Uh, things get better. But as a, a professor of mine, uh, Peter Vale, talked about it in his book, Permanent Whitewater, we're in tumultuous change. It's not going to get better. You better get up on your surfboard when the next wave comes. And even if it knocks you off of it, you're going to be a little more skilled for the second wave. <laughs> you know? Right, right, so, right. So every time you get back up on that surfboard, you're going to learn a little bit more about getting your balance in this tumultuous change environment that's going on. It's not going away. Mm. Permanent whitewater is how it's going to be. So we need to get more skilled. And yes, uh, it's it's tough because we have built into us an immune system, an immunity to change. What we want is equilibrium. We want to maintain balance. The problem is that We've got this design as a human being of extensor and flexor muscles. There's a controlled opposition of two forces. And it's only in an effective use of those two opposing forces that any progress gets made. And that's what leadership's required to do. It's recognizing the stasists that are trying to maintain status quo and the dynamists who are trying to bring about a new change and a new working order that's really going to make sense going on into the future. And that's a delicate job. It's a, right. it's a, it's probably the most important job of leadership. Now I can hear a manager saying we don't have time because they're under the gun for a leadership, to, for a leader to say that we don't have time is too short sighted because and it sounds like it's irresponsible. It, it, 
that's I didn't want to go that far, but <laughs> as long as you mention it, it you know, yeah. we think about what the indigenous cultures talked about as seven generations. And when you start to look at the organizations today that are really making it huge, these are the organizations who took the long view, who understood that what we do today isn't just for us. Right. It's for generations from now. And when we make a stand on those kinds of practices, practices that are quadruple in their bottom line, not just a single bottom line of short-term profit, but the quadruple bottom line means that it's socially just, it's environmentally as well as economically sustainable, and it's spiritually fulfilling. For It's meaningful for everybody that's participating. And when we take a look at that quadruple bottom line and say that that's what's important, now you've got a you've got a leader who's really poising their organization for a successful future. Well, Paul, this is fascinating, and we've come to the end of the show. We could talk about this for a whole other hour, um, but today we have to to leave. So I know people are going to want to know more. How can they do that? Well, certainly the easiest place to get a hold of my work is to go to my website, SheelyLearning.com. That's S-C-H-E-E-L-E, learning.com. And there's information there about the current work. Uh, if you email info at learning, excuse me, info at SheelyLearning.com, you'll be able to get um, us by email, and we can send you anything that you might like to know more about as well. Um, we've got the our various products, our publications, uh, scholarly works that we've published. So uh, happy to make all of those resources available, SheelyLearning.com. Fantastic. I've loved our conversation, and I hope you come back to Leading Conversations again, Paul. And thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thanks so much. It's really been my pleasure. Remember, everyone, think big. Because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.